This is the Portside Pod, the official podcast of the Stockton Ports. I'm the voice of the Ports, Alex Jensen, and on today's episode, Rick Magnante shares some memories from his time in Stockton, discusses some players we might see with the Ports over the next couple years, and provides insight into what makes the A's a successful organization in part two of my conversation with the former Port skipper. Don't miss another Ports Thirsty Thursday Happy Hour coming up on Thursday, May 14th at 4 p.m. on Facebook Live. During these trying times, Chase Chevrolet is still open and here to serve you. With their Easy Pass service, you can shop online and have your new pre-owned vehicle delivered right to your door. Learn more at chasechevrolet.com slash easypass. Do you have any uh, any memories that stick out from your four years in stock? So I know you were, let's see, I think you guys were one game away from the Cal League, uh, the Cal League Championship Series. Uh, I believe that was in 2018, maybe 2000, yeah. anyway, 2018. Um, so, so any, any memories that stick out for you? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, we did, you know, we, we talked about winning and losing. I mean, once the game begins, make no doubt about it, that the message goes out to the players that we're here to win the game, you know, in the minor leagues, it might not be as hands-on with the X's and O's. Okay. We might not be bunting or stealing, or we might be doing things that we might strategize from that seventh inning on to try to win the game because we want to let you guys play. We want you to learn how to play, but we want you to come out and compete. So that's important. And our first year there, we got to the playoffs. We had a good season. Uh, You know, I, I mentioned some guys that are on that team. Lou Trevino got to the big leagues. Dylan Overton, Dylan Covey were on that club. And, you know, we competed and we got to the playoffs. And I think that's a benchmark for every, every manager or coach. You, you want to get to the postseason somehow, some way. Play for the marbles. The next year, you know, we weren't quite as good. And we took it on the chin a little bit. You know, I think we were like 20 games below 500. It was not good. But, again, we had Daniel Gossett was on that ball club. Trevino was back on that ball club. Richie Martin, a first-round pick, was on that ball club. Keith Fillmeyer, who we traded, now pitching the big leagues the last two seasons on the Royals, was on that ball club. So we had players. We had players. And, and, and you know, and we, we, we went out pretty much with the same way, but personnel changes and wins and losses changes. Then the next two years, we were back in the playoffs again. And finally, in 2018, we won the first half. We won the second half, as is many times the case in minor league baseball. The team you have in the first half is not the team you have in the second half, but we still manage. And we took it to five games uh, with Visalia. And we all, I'll remember the game, and if any of the fans are listening, they will too. We're 2-2 in the series. We are, we're out of pitching. We, we're out of pitching. So we're going to let um, uh, our, our starter, um, he's going to go two tops. So he gets two outs. He's got runners in first and second with two outs in the first inning. He gives up a three-run homer. We're down 3 nothing. We never score. They never score again. We ran out of pitcher for the next eight innings. One guy went out every inning and shut the door and shut the door and shut the door, and we just couldn't get off the board. So it was kind of disappointing in a, that we didn't win, but as far as the guys stepping up in the moment and pitching their – their hearts out and keep us into the ball game. It was exciting. So 
Every day was exciting in the Cal League for me, every part of it. The competition was good, and I got to see a lot of, lot of good players come through the Cal League who are now, you know, big leaguers, and many of them are Oakland A's. When I think back, you know, Sky Bolt, uh, Louis Barrera, 40-man roster, Richie Martin, big league, Sean Murphy, mm-hmm. Sheldon Noisy, A.J. Puck, Seth Brown, Jonah Heim, um, uh, Lazardo. I mean, I've had an opportunity to, to touch – young people's lives on, on their way to the big leagues. And, and it's, it's, it's very, very gratifying. for me. I was just going to say, that's got to be gratifying when, you know, guys are playing in the play, like you turn on national TV and guys are the same guys you had in Stockton are, are playing in the playoffs now. Yeah. It, 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 well, I mean, I've been here since 95. Mm-hmm. So when I know there's, if you look at the big league roster over the last few years, there's, there's been some transplants. But, but when you look at like, okay, maybe this year it would be Haim and Murphy. Uh, well, Haim isn't homegrown, but Murphy is. Then you got Olsen at first, all right? And then uh, who knows who's going to be at second base, but you've got mm-hmm. Chapman at, at third, uh, and you've got guys that have come up through our system, especially in the pitching side. So we are getting more homegrown. So when you have a chance to – to you know, be in contact on a daily basis and hopefully make a difference in these guys' career. It's so gratifying when you see a kid get to the big leagues. I mean, Sky Bolt got to Seth Brown got to the big leagues. You know, Seth Brown had a very lackluster 2016, but in 2017, as we talked about, a guy that kept working and working and working, who might not have had the same tools and same skill set as some other players worked his way to make himself recognized, you know, a low round draft pick getting to the big leagues and then having success up there. And then now being a guy maybe to be counted on if the season gets going in 2020. So that's what it's all about. It's, you know, it's really about the players. It's about their growth and their success and also working with your staff. I mean, I've had so many wonderful guys that I've worked with pitching coaches hitting coaches, roving instructors that have come in and also played a part in the education, the development of players. You know, it, it, you know, it takes a village, you know, basically. And, and, and that's what minor league baseball is. We're just a village. It's funny you mentioned that because one thing that has been a constant on here, at least on this podcast, and, and now that I'm getting to know the A's system a little bit more and getting to understand, I'm starting to come to understand, Skipper, that, this is a very, I mean, this is a system that is, seems like it's very loyal, uh, you know, not necessarily to a fault to put it as Bobby Crosby put it, but uh, it's a loyal system in terms of guys that want to come in and work and guys that, you know, guys that want to come in and give back and, and have a talent for that. I mean, it seems like kind of a family type of atmosphere. Oh, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I really do. You know, uh, there's there's continuity here. When you look at a guy like Keith Lipman, been here 50 years. Yeah. Grady Fuson, 30. Yours truly going on 26. Congrats. Uh, you can go look through the entire Webster Garrison, been a player in the A's organization, still with us. If we bring back a guy like Bobby Crosby, who's in the Brian McCarn, the hitting instructor in, in, mm-hmm. in Stockton, double mm-hmm. A, triple A forever. Eric Martin's now in the big leagues, ex A minor leaguer. Uh, these guys have been here over the course of the years and the same thing in scouting. So there is loyalty and there's continuity and the continuity plays into it because you know what to expect. 
when organizations don't win and they change over at the top levels in management with either general managers or ownership or 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 or, or, or player development guys pe people get they get exchanged people move in and out every year you're working for a different guy is it the same philosophy is it a different philosophy you know uh, am i on the outs because i'm i'm inherited in the new group or i'm brought in from a new group to a, a, an older group and how does that all work there's a, a comfort level in oakland without being complacent if, if you can get my drift there we're happy to be here we love oakland we want to win in oakland and we know that you know management and the front office sees value in us and as long as we can continue to give our best effort and uh and embrace change as it as it happens as the game evolves and we stay on the same page um then there's good good chance people that are have come after me will continue to, to tell the story 20 years down the road and there's opportunity here too because we bring marcus jensen comes up from the minor leagues scott emerson Darren Bush, Ryan Christensen, Phil Pohl, the bullpen catcher. All these guys came from. So anytime an organization promotes from within rather than taking somebody from outside and bringing them into maybe a position you hoped was going to be yours or that you'd be on the short list for in terms of, uh, you know, a consideration, that builds confidence. We, you know, we support our own. We promote our own. We believe in our own. So... That's a that's a nice environment to work in. And, and another thing that that you mentioned to me, it's cool. It kind of goes hand in hand with this. Is you know everyone outside of, of the A's always talks about Moneyball, but the truth is is that the A's as an organization, at least from my perspective, have been on the cutting edge of a lot of different trends on uh, evaluating players or just running a front office. And I, I guess one of the things you guys are doing right now is you're doing leadership training. Uh, right. You know, uh, so. <laughs> I guess there's no straightforward way to ask a question like this, but how do these things like evolve and, and how do they, uh, you know, how do they help contribute to running a successful organization? Well, I just think that um, it, it started years ago, um, as I've heard the story before my time with, with, with Harvey Dorfman and, and Carl Keel. They, they were the, they were the, uh, you know, the founding fathers, so to speak, of this, how can we, how can we, we know the game is physical, but we really know that it's 80% mental and we know how to teach the physical, but maybe we don't know how to teach the mental or how to get the best out of the player. So let's start there. And they, they were at the forefront of that. And then it, and then they, they handed the ball off to Keith Lipman and he took it to another level. Uh, they handed the ball off to Sandy Alderson. He took it to another level. They handed the ball off to Billy Bean. He took it to another level, and we just continued to evolve in, in that kind of thinking about how we can be better, how we can do the most with the least. And that is challenging, and that keeps people going. It keeps them energized. It keeps them feeling a part of it. And I think it's just the A's way, you know, how, however you might say it. But that's kind of how it began. And now – Everybody in that player development classroom every morning is in a position that they may have to step forward and present their views, their ideas. Uh, it's a very communicating kind of 
organization, there's a lot of feedback, there's a lot of interchange, there's a lot of dialogue, there's a lot of respect for your opinion, and they want your voice, they want to hear your voice, and they encourage you to bring that voice to the table because everybody has something to share. So when you have that kind of welcoming, engaging environment that started long ago based on education and change and getting better, it just can't help but go anywhere but forward and up and progressive. And that's what we are. We're progressive. Now, listening to that, I mean, like you said, despite, uh, you know, maybe the shortcomings in, in certain ways on the financial side, it's no wonder that the A's have never bottomed out for a long time at the big league level. Yeah, I, you know, it just, you know, I've been, you know I'm, I'm on the tail end here. I'm, I'm on the final glide plane. You know, I'm happy to be working. Whoever listening, I still want to keep working. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's just to be a part of this organization at the end, I guess the only thing that the icing on the cake would be to like to win a World Series. Yeah. And unfortunately, the, what's happened this year, the timing has not been good, but we're poised. We're ready. Oakland is there. We, the window is open and we have an opportunity in the next, you know, two to three years to be that club that can be on the cusp of a world championship. And Nothing would make me happier at the end of my career to be a part of something like that. It's the perfect time to purchase a new car today at Chase Chevrolet. Take advantage now of model year-end inventory reduction prices and supplier pricing on select 2019 vehicles. You can always count on Chase Chevrolet for the best prices, best service, and easiest car buying experience. And now, back to our episode. All right, I want to ask you, uh, Rick, about, about some of the guys that, that Ports fans might be able to expect in the next couple of years. I know you had a few of them in, in Vermont uh, a year ago, but I'll, I'll run down some of these names I have yeah. here. If you have anyone to add yourself that's, that stands out to you, please feel free to do so. So I want to start with last year's first-round pick, Logan Davidson, working with him. Uh, what stands out to you about this guy? Well, you know, we've, we've talked earlier in the, in the cast on, on makeup. So this guy's makeup is through the ceiling. Work ethic, passion, desire to get better, uh, open-mindedness, willing to take on ideas, work with them, and then combine that with the tools to stay in the middle of the diamond, okay? And a skill set to play the game at a very high level. So he's going to be a, a very good player. He will be a solid big leaguer. So really good pick. Uh, in Logan Davidson. And certainly, you know, I, I, I would believe I might be outside my limits here a little bit, but I would think that if the season were to be played in Stockton this year, you know, you'd get, you guys get a chance to see him this year. Yeah, I think, and I think more goes into a season, right? Because people look at Logan Davidson's numbers last year over the last, over the first six weeks or so, obviously he struggled, but there's a lot that goes into that. Well, I mean, I, I, I had Ryan Healy, when he came up with us in Vermont, it was a very good. Um, I've had Matt Chapman. He he's ha he had his struggles early on. All these guys, whether they're first rounders or thirty first rounders, there is an adjustment period. Mm -hmm. And I don't care who you are. I mean, your tools might stand out on a given night. You might look like that first rounder blue chipper, and the next night you look like a guy who is never been on the field before yeah. because it's just that demanding and that challenging early on. And especially with the higher round draft picks, there's an added amount of pressure that they bring upon themselves because their expectations realistically or unrealistically 
may be too high. And if they set the bar too high, not knowing what the bar should really be, because they've never been in this environment before, it, it can be confounding and, 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 it, and it could cause them not to play to their, to their potential. So um, we always tell the players, they don't, I don't think they buy it as, as genuine as I try to be, but I tell them, look, I don't care whether you hit 100 or 300 this year. It doesn't matter. We don't care. We just want you to get your feet wet and get used to playing every day and understanding what professional baseball is all about. I know you're going to chase the numbers. You know, it's like uh, Sandy Koufax said, uh, when I stopped trying to strike them out instead of get them out, that's when I became a pitcher. And it's, it's that kind of simplicity. Just play the game. You'll figure it out. You're going to get your opportunity. It's, it's you know, the, the beauty of baseball. It's 162 games. A week doesn't make a difference, nor does a month. And with the young players, you just have to give them a chance to kind of just settle in and acclimate. And that's what you see with a lot of first-rounders. And I've seen a lot of first-rounders come through the system and see them struggle. So occasionally, there are a few that outperform their, you know, with their expectations. But by, by and large, the game humbles everybody. All right, we'll go with the next guy uh, drafted in that 2019 class, Tyler Baum, right-hander. Yeah, Tyler Baum, uh, he's got a good arm. He's got a good arm. It's, it's, he's pretty much over the top. There's some life to the fastball. He needs an enhanced breaking ball to go along with the makings of a pretty good change. I would call him a six-foot righty. That's what he is. He's not an overly physical guy. So I think as he, as he continues to grow in the game – his pitchability, uh, for lack of a better word, his ability to locate, exploit hitters, witnesses, is going to come into play to make him successful over and above what the numbers are on the ray gun. Okay, Kyle McCann. Kyle McCann. Uh, anytime you can get a left-handed hitting catcher with power or a switch hitting catcher with power, you you got a heck of a, a half a good draft pick. So he's got all the... He meets all the criteria. Yeah. And so just like the rest of them, it's a matter of him making the adjustments. And I would say if he was sitting here with me right now, he would say last year was humbling for him. Mm-hmm. It was maybe much more difficult than he expected on many levels. But he, you know, he got baptized. He came into instructional league. Uh, he, he, he was able to work on some certain specific things to get him better. And I saw him in the brief time I was in spring training. He was a good spirits. And he has what you're looking for, power, ability to catch and throw, big body, hopefully durability, stamina to get behind the plate um, on an everyday basis. Uh, but he also has the, he has the caveat of being able to play first base as well because nobody catches forever. So it's a bat, it's power, uh, and, and that's what you're looking at there. That good spirits part, especially you know after going through that baptism, is it important that you see that in a young player, maybe in his first spring training after maybe, you know, struggling for the first time in a long time? Yeah. It, it, you know, I, I just think it's, um, I, I think, you know, if, if you, if you ask the right questions, if you, if, if you're able to dig deep a little bit, you're going to get the kind of responses that you want. So again, that goes along with your ability to lead uh, and 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 to get beyond the just the cursory superficial replies to things, do you 
so you can start building that trust so that person really is 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 forthcoming with you because if they are then you can do your job better as well last guy i have for you here is a guy that made some waves last year as an 11th round pick dustin harris I think he was a junior college guy, but we were talking to Melissa Lockhart about him. You know, she said he's a guy to keep an eye on. I know he spent some time with you in Vermont, put up really good numbers. What do you think? So we talked about, before we got on the podcast, about not much coming out of JC's <laughs> yeah. in America. Well, we, we, we got a nugget here. This guy's special. This guy can hit. And he's a big kid. And he hasn't even touched his potential. He doesn't even know who he is yet. But to hit as well as he did in the rookie league and then come to Vermont and get thrown in the fire and just send line drives out to all fields, get deep into counts, uh, show selectivity as well as an aggressive approach to hit at a very young age, I think we've got a really, really outstanding young star in the making in him. Where he's going to play, I'm not sure. First, third, left, I don't know. But there's a bat there, and this guy's got a field to hit, and power will come. So I was very, 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 very pleased with, with you know, the strides that he made and his ability to fit in with an older group at a much higher level of competition than you might have ever faced in junior college in Florida. So, yeah, there's a, there's a sleeper right there. Is there anyone else you can, that, that comes to mind when we talk about guys that will be playing in Stockton? either well, whenever yeah. we're playing baseball again or the next year? Well, you know, I, I hope I can, you know, think of some of the names and have some recall for you. Uh, Hogan Harris, uh, the left-handed Lefty. pitcher. Yeah. He saw Stockton for, I think, a month or month and a half yeah. last season. So he came up. He, I would think he would have begun the year at Stockton this year to start. He's an interesting guy. It's not overpowering, but he locates a fastball. He get to both sides of the plate. He's got a good feel for the changeup. He commands a breaking ball. I mean, if you're a lefty that passes the litmus test with velocity and you can pitch a little bit, you, you've got a future. You definitely have a future. So he, he was impressive for us as well. Um, Kevin Richards, a young Dominican outfielder, uh, would have been, correct me if I'm wrong, I have to look up his date of birth, 17 or 18 last year playing in the league. Very good. Uh, Jordan Diaz, a good-looking young, like a Renato Nunez-looking third baseman, 17 years old, who can hit. So those guys are guys that we were able to get to Vermont last year that normally would have, we were either left in the Dominican or left in Arizona. They had good extended springs. They performed, and we gave them an opportunity, and, and, and they came and they played, and they, and they were good players for us. Is it beneficial for guys like that to get out to an affiliate as opposed to staying in Arizona or staying in the Dominican? Well, we're going to find what happens now with the, with the uh, uh, reduction in minor league teams and more complex baseball and competition mm-hmm. at that level. For me, I just, as we spoke about earlier, I just want to play when the lights go on and people are in the stands. Yeah. I just think that enhances performance. Uh, you know, if there is somebody tells me they could get more bats down here, they can do this or that, that's fine. But I think every kid that signs a professional contact wants to put on the uniform and go out to wherever it is at seven o'clock and the lights go on and game on, let's play. Fans in the stands, the whole deal. 
So I, I think that, you know, certainly at a point in time, they have to get out. They have to understand there's, again, there's, it's, it's, it's not low key in like uh, in the rookie level in Gulf Coast or, or the Arizona League, but, but it doesn't have the same feeling as a full season or an official short season. And I think the kids really, they, 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 they thrive on that. They, they like that. So I think for me, the sooner there was people in the stands every night for kids playing, I think that really helps them perform. And it also, you know, and they, they learn a little bit too. I mean, they take a little heat. Some guy in the stands, you know, a few beers in is tired of looking at me strike out for the third time and is yelling at me and the, um, and the manager why I'm still in the lineup and why we're not winning, you know? So you, you get, there's a little edge out there too, that you don't get down there in, 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 in the rookie league with in Arizona in you know, July. I want to pick your brain on, on a couple more things before we, before we wrap up here, Rick. Um, first being before you get to the world baseball classic, I, I love talking about baseball on an international stage. Cause, uh, you know, it, it seems like it's a sport that is, is starting to grow more in popular, obviously Japan, you know, the, the, uh, the Latin America. Uh, it's starting to make inroads, though, in Europe, uh, and especially in the Netherlands and Italy, which has had mm-hmm. a pro league for a long time. You managed mm-hmm. in Italy for nine months. What was that experience like? And, I mean, give, give me a feel for uh, kind of what baseball is like in Europe right now, because we, we've heard about it all over Asia, like I said, Latin America, but wh- where does baseball stand in Europe in your eyes? Well, I'm going to, for everybody, anybody who's listening, just pick up John Grisham's book, Playing for Pizza, okay? And for all the football terms that are in the book, just substitute baseball terms, and that will give you a real good indication of what baseball is like in Italy, okay? Um, you know, there's, you had two Americans or two Latins or two Cubans, whoever you could bring on as your ringers, and everybody else were... 40 hour guy, 40 hour a week guys working and playing uh, Friday and Saturday, three games a week. Then practicing Tuesday to Thursday, but practice would start like at seven o'clock. So these guys are rolling out as auto mechanics, uh, clothing salesmen, uh, you know, uh, medical practitioners, whatever they are. They're from Novara, they're from Milan, they're from Torino, they're from Bologna, they're from Parma, they're from. Um, Verona, they're from these regions, and the Italians, ever since World War II, you know, they, they embraced baseball. The GIs brought it to them, and they liked it. The problem is, is it, it's always about money, and the teams that are, have the money, especially in Italy, are the teams that win, and when I was there, the, t- the team that had the money was Milan, and that was owned by Berlusconi, who was the prime minister of Italy and also would be like the Ted Turner of Italian TV. So a very wealthy man. So he bought all the best players. So for the Novarese, who I managed, which was a town between Milan and Torino, a bedroom community, we, it was, you know, it was like Ruth and Gehrig and Cobb or barnstorming through the Midwest. And you got your mill team that's going to play them on Saturday and fill the stadium, but they got no chance to win. So, they're the Washington I've also, Generals. Yeah, I've, I've also managed, you know, internationally with South Africa. So I've, yeah. I've seen the Netherlands. I know they're good. We know that the Asian countries are good. We know that the Latin American countries are good. And we know that some of the European countries are getting better also. So 
there is this the, the push to, to 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 make you know baseball a world game and i was just very fortunate to be a part of that from 2006 to 2013 and get to compete you know against the best in the world and i'll never forget the the final game we played in the first 2006 World Baseball Classic was at Scottsdale Stadium and Roger Clements was starting for the U.S. and the place was packed, the grass berm, standing room only and one of the reasons was that it might be the last time Clements was going to pitch professionally so everybody wanted to come out and see him. So they announced the team so we lined up on the lines and people said so Rick how was it? I said well it was like standing in the shadow of greatness. Because I looked down that third base line, it was Jeter, and it was, and it was A. Rod, and it was Chipper Jones, and it was, it, it was every future Hall of Fame player in the world. And I'm looking at myself, going, I never got out of A. Ball. And I'm an area scout, and here I am, in a venue managing against the best players in the world. So I mean, I get goosebumps just talking about it right now as a fan and a person who spent my life in the game. I still get excited about those moments. So international baseball is fun. And we know that there's some really good national teams out there. And although we kind of identify it as our, our sport and our national pastime, there's a lot of countries that have, have picked up the slack and can more than compete against Americans. I think you answered my next question, which was talking about the world baseball classic and like, you know, what you love about that, especially being a part of it. I mean, I, I guess I haven't heard any official word, but baseball, baseball being in the Olympics in 2020, will that have any effect on the World Baseball Classic? Yeah, it's going to be interesting because the Baseball Classic kind of picked up the slack when the baseball was no longer an Olympic sport. Right. And, and, and there was no amateur status, you know, associated with it. You know, you know we're, we're, we're playing pros and they're not – you can play anybody you want, you know. So – um, I, I don't know how that's all going to, you know, uh, shake out. Uh, but but I, 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 I like the I like the fact that there is an Olympic baseball competition. And I guess I would hope that the World Baseball Classic would be more professionally structured, whereas maybe that Olympic thing could still be that amateur venue where, you know, maybe high school kids and college kids mm-hmm. get a chance to play. And the professional guys, if they so want to, can you know participate in the World Baseball Classic. But I think both could go hand in hand. And they, if you put them in staggered years, and they don't, they don't conflict. So it's like the Olympics and the World Cup in soccer, right? right. right? There's yeah. room for both there. Yeah. So there's, there's enough. There's enough fans out there. There's enough. There's enough world, you know. And and being in in Asia and being in some of those stadiums, and seeing how loud and vociferous and excitable these fans are that the noise never stops it's like an NFL football game it just never stops winning losing in between innings it mm-hmm. just it, it just it's it's an energy that you don't really experience here in America it's not quite the same so that was that was an interesting experience as well I, I've been to a baseball game in Japan I, I know exactly what you're talking about but what I would love to see is that with country versus country you know, as opposed to a professional team versus, I just think it's just uh, international competition is something really special. It seems. Yeah, it is. And, and, and we've grown the game enough that we've made it viable mm-hmm. that the Netherlands, you know, they can, they can put a team on the field, you know, 
as as can the Canadians, as can the Koreans, and 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 everybody else. And uh, so uh, I think we've done a, a good job of 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 getting getting the the ball out there in, in the world, and and hopefully people are embracing it and having a good time with it and enjoying rooting for their countries. But the WBC was that was special, just to travel and meet those people and be in those venues and. And if for a guy that's traveled his life in A-ball, then you're in the World Baseball Classic and everything is big league. Mm-hmm. The hotels are big league. The spreads are big league. The equipment, the stadium, it's like, it's like going to fantasy camp. You know? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's pretty fun. So I take it that if, if there is – you would take a return to the World Baseball Classic if you're invited back? Oh, I, I would. I would. But, but, but by the same token, realistically, you know – MLB pretty much pushed that South Africa thing and and they put their dime behind it Mm -hmm. and they wanted to grow it. And part of our goal was to hand the ball off to those people over there. And at the next venue, which has happened recently here, they have their own in-house native, for lack of a better word, staff, pitching coach, managers, hitting coaches, because we wanted to coach the players and also coach the coaches so we could say, it's your team now. You have enough experience. You've learned enough um, from the American side and, and Yankee know-how, for lack of a better word. And now let's see if you can't carry the ball for your nation and be that person. So I think it, we, we, you know, we, we've, we've kind of killed two birds with one stone there. I think that's nice. Without a doubt. Well, uh, Rick, thank you so much for, for uh, giving me your time. I know people in Stockton, um, you know, are going to love hearing your voice again. And I hope, I hope one of these days soon that I'm able to, to meet you face to face. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you so much, Alex, for, uh, for having me. And uh, I enjoyed it. All the best to the, the boys at Banner Island and the front office there. And, uh, you know, if you need me in the future, reach out. It's a pleasure. Thank you. I certainly will. Thanks so much again, Rick. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Portside Pod. If there are topics or interview subjects you'd like to hear on future episodes, tweet at me, at ajensen86. The Portside Pod is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other platforms, as well as at our home anchor.fm slash Stockton dash ports. You can also visit the ports website at stocktonports.com and follow the ports on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and other social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Alex Jensen. Please stay safe and we'll talk to you on the next episode of the Portside Pod.